this week I have a different direction for us and I'd like for us to take and a passage of scripture I'd like for us to look at and a truth that I think is vital for us to understand uh, if we're going to be all for the Lord that he would want us to be. I believe that this is a, a great sin uh, that uh, is just alive and well in churches across this country in our culture and a struggle that I think even some of us at times deal with. And uh, tonight I want us to look at this closely. Judges 6, verse 25. If you would stand for the reading of God's Word. Judges 6, verse 25. We'll read down through verse number 28. The Bible says, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place, and take the second bullock, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants, and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cut down, and the grove was cut down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. The title of the sermon this evening is this, Modern Day Idolatry. Idolatry is something that we battle with even in the day and time in which we live. And no, I'm not talking about what goes on down at the Hindu uh, uh, temple around the corner from us. I'm not talking about what goes on at a Catholic church. I'm talking about what goes on in this church and even within our own homes. Modern day idolatry. Let's pray. Lord, help me tonight as I preach the Bible. Lord, I pray the truth would help, uh, Lord, uh, to set someone free tonight and help us to see where we are guilty of living an idolatrous life. And so, Lord God, help me as I preach to be able to convey the truths that you've given to me in preparation for this. And Lord, I pray each person would be helped. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16 says this. It says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The story of Gideon is one that is interesting. Uh, The Lord had led the Israelites out of Egypt, and as we're studying on uh, through the book of Joshua, has led them across the Jordan River, has given them that promised land, and uh, for a time, uh, a generation or two, they lived there, and everything went great. They had the laws of God. Now, imagine here, you have uh, the uh, you live in a country that's guided by God's laws, God's civil laws, is dietary laws and his moral laws and everyone's going to obey the rules everyone's going to follow the rules you don't have a king and so and you have the promise of God's hand of protection around you from 
foreign invaders. Now, here's the great part about that. All right. With that set up, you have no structural government. God is your leader and king and you have his hand of protection. You know what you don't have to do with this structure? You don't have to pay taxes. Anybody up for that? Amen. A country where you don't have to pay any taxes. That was the luxury they had. And uh, lo and behold, they began to rebel from God. And that rebellion uh, led to, to being enslaved. God sending a group of people in to take them into bondage. And uh, there in bondage, they saw their sin and began to repent. And in their repentance, God looked down and saw the sincerity of their hearts and restored them. And they would have a generation or two of restoration, then right back into rebellion and right back into being enslaved and right back around the cycle they go. And uh, what God would do at that time of them being in slavery when they would repent is he would raise up a godly man among them who would be a judge. This judge would lead them uh, to, to victory over their uh, enemy and then would rule over them in an unofficial capacity and help guide them spiritually. And so here uh, we find in Judges 6 that that the Israelites are under the oppressive hand of the Midian government. The Midianites are over them and taking over them. And Gideon is, uh, he is in a valley. He's threshing wheat in a valley. Now, if you know anything about threshing wheat, you have a pitchfork, you're throwing this wheat up in the air. The wind is to carry the chaff away. The wheat falls down to the ground. If you know anything about this process, you don't do this in a valley. You don't, you don't do this in the valley because you don't have the wind in the valley that you have on a mountain. You say, well, pastor, why was he in the valley? Because he was scared. He was afraid of the Midianites. And lo and behold, the angel of the Lord, I believe this to be an Old Testament appearance of Christ, the angel of the Lord shows up there and startles Gideon and says, hey, you are a mighty man of valor. And he says, me? <laughs> Do you see what I'm doing? I'm threshing wheat out of fear. He said, no, 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 Gideon, you are going to help lead my people in victory against the Midianites. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you uh, to uh, get yourself up and go forth and do this. He says, all right, well, I need you to prove to me that I'm the one. He said, uh, tonight I'm going to put out a blanket or a fleece. And he said, if all the ground around it is, uh, uh, let's see, dry and this is wet, then I'll know that uh, this is what you want me to do. So sure enough, he comes out the next morning, there's that fleece or that blanket. Everything around it is dry. His fleece is wet. You know what he says? Let's do it again. He said, I need you to do it for me again. So let's do it the other way around. And so he comes out the next day and everything is wet and that fleece is dry. And he says, okay, all right, let's do this. And so he then had to go, uh, the very first thing he had to do was address idolatry in his own family. His dad had set up a grove that's a wooded area, a decorative wooded area, uh, a grove that came around a place of an idol. His dad had these idols set up where he would worship these idols. And God said, the very first order of business is I want you to go and I want you to wipe those idols out and I want you to sacrifice a bullock in its place. And Gideon was so afraid that he waited until his father was asleep, his brothers were asleep, and he did it while no one was watching. He had to deal with that idolatry. Now, their idolatry was pronounced. Their idolatry was on purpose. Their idolatry was 
pushy. They pushed it on you. In fact, you were expected to participate in that idolatry. But to God, their idolatry was putrid. Was putrid. Putrid. Over and over and over again, God reminds His people, He says, You belong to Me. I have chosen you. I have protected you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. We are in a covenant union together. Hey, Israel, don't cheat on me. Hey, Israel, don't stray from me. Hey, Israel, be loyal to me. Hey, I'm loyal to you and I love you and I want you to be equally committed to this uh, relationship. Israel, don't worship idols. Why? God says to Israel, I'm worthy of your worship. And not only am I worthy, I'm wanting of your worship. I desire your worship. I desire uh, that uh, with you. Now, the Israelites failed to keep their end of the covenant. They would rebel and rebel and rebel and again and again and again uh, run into idol worship. Now, what is the purpose of man? The God made mankind uh, for one purpose, and that was to glorify God. Say that with me. Glorify God. That's why he made you. He put you here so that you'll bring him glory and honor and praise by the way that you live your life. And when we worship God, we fulfill that purpose. There is a there is a sense of accomplishment to the very reason why why we were made. But when we don't worship God and we chase idols, uh, then we are uh, then uh, going against the very purpose of which we were made. Now, the Old Testament is written around the problem. Much of the Old Testament is written around the problem of idol worship. Israel would stray from God and run to paganism and idolatry and God would chasten them and bring them back into a right and loving relationship. Uh, So when the Old Testament ended, did idolatry end? No. All right. How about when the Bible was completed? Did God's people grow past idolatry once the Bible was finished? No. Um, how about with the growth and the maturity of the church? Uh, has idolatry ceased to be a te- uh, to be a temptation now that the church is fully established? No. Uh, is it still prevalent today? Is it still a struggle amongst those that maybe are even sitting or standing in this room at this very moment? I would say absolutely yes, it is still a problem today. Uh, we, we have turned, uh, I would say, now here's what I want you to take from my introduction. I would say that Christians today have chosen the worst possible form of idolatry. Here it is, the worst possible form of idolatry. We have turned the God of the Bible into our own false idol. We've turned the God of the Bible into our own false idol. Let me explain. To every professing Christian, there are attributes of the Bible that we enjoy more than others. And we we tend to cling to and run to those parts that excite us and that we find easy uh, to obey. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Hey, no problem there, Pastor. Uh, I'm 
faithful to my spouse or I avoid relationship with someone who's in a marriage and uh, I'm not involved in adultery. You can preach on that one all day and I'll stand behind you and say, Amen right there. However, when the Bible addresses items that don't fit our lifestyle, what we do is we just conveniently dismiss them. Oh, and we, we may not be so blunt as to admit it, but our actions scream that the love I have for myself and my lifestyle and my tendencies and my habits uh, uh, trump my love for God in the Bible. I would much, much rather uh, dismiss those parts of the Bible that are not convenient for me uh, than to surrender to them and obey them. So in essence, we worship the parts of God that are convenient and we dismiss the parts of God that aren't. Do you see what happens when we do that? We make God into the image that we want Him to be. We create our own version of God in the Bible, and that's the God that we will worship. The God that's convenient for us to worship, we cling to the parts that are convenient, we ignore the parts that are not, we take and we snip out parts of the Bible that we don't want to follow or pretend that they're not there, and we simply only obey a version of Christianity that is convenient to our lifestyle. In essence, what we're doing is we're worshiping a false idea idea of Jehovah God, we're worshiping our own heart's desire. Um, uh, we turn God into who we want him to be. Intellectually, we turn him into someone he's not. And that's the only version of God and his word that we'll be willing to conform to. And I propose that this form of modern day idolatry is everywhere. It creeps into the hearts of us and we allow our sinful habits and our pride and stubbornness to change the God of the Bible into a God of convenience. And I'm going to say this evening, we must be willing to surrender our stubborn wills to the commands of God and His words. Not just some of them, but all of them. We must come to the Lord and say, Lord, because You have so loved me. Lord, because You have sacrificed so much for me. Lord, because You are so good to me. Because Your mercies are new every morning. Because You're faithful in the way You tend to me. And because You saved my soul and the blessings that You pour down on me. Lord, you're loyal to me and I'm going to surrender all of myself to you, even the parts, Lord, that are not convenient. I want us to look at three thoughts this evening as we consider the great sin of modern idolatry and what we can do to overcome it. Number one, notice the reality of Christian idolatry. And I have that in scare quotes. Christian idolatry as we look back at Old Testament idolatry, we can begin to understand about the idolatry that we battle with in our hearts today. Now, again, in the Old Testament, they bowed down to pieces of stone or ceramic or uh, maybe some metal, uh, something that was fashioned or shaped by hand. And today, you may not do that, but idolatry today is just as alive. Letter A, notice idols are invented. Idols are invented. Go with me over to Leviticus chapter number 19. Much of the rest of the sermon, we'll be back in Judges in a few moments, so put a marker there. But much of the rest of the sermon will be topical in nature. Go with me over to uh, Leviticus chapter 19. Now, uh, God had written the book of Leviticus to be a, uh, a book on instruction 
of worship. In fact, the Levites led the nation in worshiping God. That was their duty. That was their role. And so the book of Leviticus was written to the priests, the Levites, about how to lead the country in worship, the nation in worship. And look at chapter 19 in verse 4. He says there, Turn ye not unto idols, nor make to yourselves molten gods. He says here, I am the Lord your God. So you are forbidden to shape with your own hands gods made of idols. Now look look over at chapter 26, Leviticus chapter 26, and look with me at verse number 1. Leviticus 26 and verse number 1. He says here, and notice that first uh, phrase, notice here the command given, ye shall make you no idols, nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall ye set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. He says here, don't use the hands that I've given you to make up your own image, your own uh, idol there. So you may remember that way back in uh, the book of Exodus, that, that Moses is going up to Mount Sinai there to get the Ten Commandments from the Lord. And what happens? The people become restless and they say to Aaron, they say, hey, Aaron, uh, uh, we don't know what happened to this man. You, you mean the man that parted the Red Sea? Because they just refer him to as that man. We don't know what happened to that man. Uh, we don't know where he went, but he's, he went up the mountain. He hadn't come back in a long time and he's gone. He says, hey, 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 Aaron, can you make for us our own God? And Aaron says, sure, I'd be happy to oblige, break off the earrings from your son's ears and bring in all the gold and uh, everything that you can bring of that type of nature to me. And he puts it in the fire there and he uses some tools and he makes for them a golden calf and out comes this golden calf it was a god from egypt and so now they're going back and worshiping the gods of egypt and uh, and moses is up in the mountain he's spending this holy time with the lord he's getting uh, the ten commandments from god and and he's really enjoying himself in the presence of god and on his way down the hill he sees joshua he had taken joshua up Joshua's about halfway down the mountain there. He says to Joshua, Joshua says to him, it sounds like the noise of war. And he says, no, that's not the noise of war. That's the sound of music. He said, they're down there having a licentious party. And sure enough, they got to the base and they've taken off their clothes and they're dancing around this golden calf uh, naked. They're probably drunk and they're acting like a bunch of fools. And Moses takes the Ten Commandments and he throws them down and smashes them. And you remember uh, after he uh, got all over the Israelites, he went to his brother Aaron and he said, Aaron. You know, I'm going to tell you, I'm an older brother. I'm going to tell you, if, I, if my little brother had done something, what I would have done is I'd have smacked him upside the head. Right? Whack! What are you doing there? And he said, Aaron, what, what did you do making this, this idol? And Aaron, uh, you know how when you're caught, called on the carpet for something you know you did wrong and you want to cover it up, and then your cover ends up, ends up being a very bad cover-up. You know, it's a, just a bad lie. He tells a very bad lie. He says, well, I took this uh, gold and I threw it in the fire and, and boom. I mean, it just, it, it, it came out looking just like this. <laughs> okay, sure. And, and that's probably the spot where Aaron smacks him upside the head, right? 
and says, uh, okay, Aaron, uh, whatever. And so, you know, uh, he invented that idol. He made it with his hands. He, 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 he created an idol that did not exist prior to them shaping that in the fire. Now, I would say that idols, uh, here are some idols that we invent today, all right? We worship material goods. We worship material goods. Whether it is a car or maybe it's a new uh, device, you say, well, I don't worship my car. Let's let someone key your car tonight in your driveway and see how happy you are tomorrow. Now, I don't expect you to be happy about it. But how upset would you be if there was just some little accident and someone bumped into your vehicle? You lose your mind over that. Well, maybe we're worshiping a material item. Maybe we have it elevated too high on a plane in our heart. How about this one? We worship money. We worship money. Oh man, I see people get so sideways over money. They get so worked up and upset over money. I see people who will throw their morality out the door for money. I see people who do all kinds of things that violate the rules of, of God, the laws of God that are meant to protect us and make us happy just so they can grab one more dollar. And how about this one? We worship. Here's another idol we invent today. We worship fame and popularity. I see these uh, people that uh, get famous really fast and you know what it does to them? It ruins them. It just ruins them. I've seen the... Uh, uh, the the uh, Britney Spears and Miley Cyruses of of my day uh, grow up and they have all this fame dumped on them at a young age. They're just not emotionally mature enough to handle it. And then all of a sudden they end up in rehab houses and, and they're struggling. And, and listen, I li- listed two names. There's many, many, many others that have battled with this. Fame is not all it's cracked up to be. When you're famous and, and you have to... Uh, duck uh, uh, outside doors and and have a, a group of people that uh, are always with you and protecting you and, and and people clamor for that fame they clamor for that popularity they worship it idols are invented letter B notice idols are inferior idols are inferior first uh, first Corinth, uh, first chronicles rather chapter sixteen would you turn over there first chronicles chapter number sixteen. Chronicles is in the Old Testament, First Chronicles chapter 16. This, ver- this verse right here uh, sums things up pretty well. In fact, it shows just uh, the, um, the fallacy, the, the, um, the silliness of, of idol worship, yet it's something that all of us still battle against and battle with. First Chronicles chapter 16. Look at verse number 26 there. The Bible says, For all the gods of the people... Are idols. Look here. But the Lord made the heavens. Now, an idol is something that we invent so that we can fulfill our innate desire for worship. Now, watch this. God is saying here I made the hands that you used to make the idol. You see that? I've created you, and yet you're creating an idol. Listen, I don't want you to worship what you created. I want you to worship me because I created you. Idols are inferior. I was um, 
an employee for a uh, truck trucking company in college. In fact, from my sophomore year up until I left uh, college, left the north, northwest Indiana, uh, Chicagoland area, I worked for a trucking company named Averett Express, and regional to that area in the southeast. I, I don't know they're out here at all, but worked there for four or five years, worked hard, uh, went from just being a dock hand uh, to where I was uh, second in command of one of the uh, uh, regional area or, or one of the uh, one of the um, locations there and worked my way up and one of the uh, challenges we had is that the companies would either lie or misrepresent the weight of the uh, freight they would give us and so right in the center of this truck dock we're driving forklifts all over the place in and out of trucks and right in the center of this dock was this big Fancy scale. I mean, big scale, big enough to put a pallet on top of it. They'd come out and have that thing calibrated pretty regularly. And uh, we were given competitions amongst each other to weigh each pallet that came off a truck and then look at the weight there on our scan gun and if it was and correct the weight. And as that weight got corrected, the company would make money depending on how far off the company had lied about the weight of their pallet or misrepresented the weight of their pallet. And so they would do competitions. Competitions. As we would weigh the pallets, uh, the company would make more money. And so they would incentivize us to get us to weigh each pallet by offering some kind of a prize to the dock hand that uh, found the most incorrect weight throughout the month. And so they called a shift meeting and they said, here's what we're going to do. The next for the next month, the person that gets the most reways, the person who uh, makes the company the most money, we're going to let you pick. Any restaurant in the greater Chicagoland area, and we're going to let you get an entree off of that menu, and the company will pay for it. And man, I was excited about that. I mean, Chicago's got some great food. You got Giordano's, right? I mean, how many of you here ever had Chicago deep dish pizza? All right, that's some good stuff. Now, I, listen, I don't know that it's better than New York-style pizza, but it's an experience, right? And uh, you've got rib restaurants, uh, you've got... Listen, you got a lot of mafia out that way, amen, Al Capone. And so there were a lot of really good restaurants to pick from. And they said, any restaurant, any restaurant you want, you pick the most expensive entree on that menu and we'll supply it for you. And so, man, I worked hard and we got down to the end of the month and they called a shift meeting and I did not win. Unfortunately, the young man that won was just a goofball uh, kid, and uh, they said, okay, all right, uh, this guy here's the winner. All right, lay it, lay it on us. Have you thought about what you want? He said, I have. He, you have your restaurant picked out? I do. All right, what restaurant uh, is it going to be? He said, all right, I'll give you the restaurant and what I want. He said, I want a double Whopper meal from Burger King. And I, I thought he was just, you know, kidding around. He's, you know, he's a clown, and and, uh, and uh, so the supervisor said, aha, that's funny. He said, no, really, what do you want? He said, no, that's, that's really what I want. I, I want a double Whopper, double Whopper meal from Burger King. And, and he said, well, will you at least let me large size it for you? The guy, All right, sure, you can large size it for me. Now, I tell you that story because of this. Oftentimes, God wants us, always, God wants us to worship Him, but we settle for something that's so far inferior to worshiping God. And listen, we're left realizing when we worship anything other than God, there's an emptiness that's in our souls. We are left out on achieving and receiving what we could. Idols are 
invented. Idols are inferior. Letter C, notice idols can be inconspicuous or hard to identify. Say, Pastor Lejeune, I I hear you preaching on idols and I get the idea of, of changing God into who I want Him to be, but... Help me see specifically, help me, to, help me to identify idolatry in my own heart. Let's look at a couple verses tonight, and I'll let the Spirit of God work on each heart individually as He worked on mine as I put this together. But turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse number 23. Idols can be inconspicuous, and uh, we see here that uh, Saul had a problem with idolatry. No, he wasn't. Necessary, necessarily bowing down to Baal or Asheroth, but he nonetheless had a problem with idolatry. And he's getting ready to lose the kingdom. And Samuel, the prophet, is going to come in and say to him, the Lord is taking the kingdom away from you. What was, what was his form of idolatry? We'll fill in the blank here. It was the word stubbornness. Stubbornness. Look with me at verse number 23. Samuel tells Saul, he says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Now, uh, when I was a teenager, I heard a lot of preaching on rebellion, and praise the Lord for it, because I needed to hear it. Is that, you know, teenagers go through a time where they're trying to figure out things, and, 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 and they're trying to figure out their own identity, and and uh, they uh, they want to push against mom and dad a little bit, and they go through a time of rebellion, and and uh, or at least a, a temptation to, to be involved in rebellion. And praise God for this passage that compares rebellion to witchcraft, and that that's another sermon for another time. But this one phrase I think gets overlooked a lot. Look here, stubbornness is as the sin of idolatry. And Samuel is saying here to Saul, he's saying, Saul, you're just flat out stubborn. God tells you that He wants you to do A, and instead you do B. And the truth is, if God had told you to do B, you would have done A. Because you're just stubborn. You're stubborn, Saul. Whatever God tells you to do, you're just so self-willed, you're going to go in your own direction. He said, Saul, uh, your stubbornness is the worshiping of your own self. I want to ask you tonight, are you stubborn? Are you stubborn? Are you so set in your ways that no matter what the Bible says, no matter how many times you read it, no matter how many times it's preached, no matter how it's conveyed, you are just a dug in your heels and you are not going to change. You know what? This uh, action of Saul, this same attitude in Saul, God labeled as idolatry iniquity and idolatry, and he ripped the kingdom away from Saul. How many marriages have been lost because of stubbornness? How many parents are not talking to their children or children not talking to their parents because of stubbornness? How many people are limited in their ability to serve God because of stubbornness? I wonder how many people in this area are going to go to hell because you're too stubborn to just cave and do your part to share the gospel. I wonder how many billions of people will be in hell because God called people to be missionaries and they dug in their heels and said, I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it. How many more missionaries would go, but the funds are not there? I talked to my brother, uh, James, about uh, missions and he uh, did the deputation thing going around the country and, 
getting churches to support him anywhere from 20 to $100 a month. And he said, man, we hear about all of the uh, missionaries that are coming off the field. I think Pastor Andrew made reference to it this morning, but all the missionaries that are coming off the field and, and, and the, the lack of missionaries to be able to replace them and the, and the population growing and the missionaries uh, dwindling. He said, but let me tell you what I find. He said, I call churches. Now, hear what I'm about to say. He said, I called, I called churches, and he said, I had to call 20 to 50 churches to get one meeting. And he said, here's what churches would tell me. Our missions program is full. You know why? You know what pastors are saying when they say our missions program is full? They're saying we're out of money. We don't have any more money to distribute. So hear me out now. The number of missionaries coming from America to the world has never been lower. But yet missionaries who do try to go to the field have to take two to three years to raise their support to get there because they can't find churches that will take them in and support them. So if our missionary count is down and yet our missionaries are still having a hard time getting the field, you know what conclusion I draw? There are people who are being stubborn with their money and won't give it to the Lord to see the gospel advance around the world. Now, you may never go to the mission field. But you should be willing to give so that others can go. Yet we dig in our heels and we're stubborn. How about this one? Idols can be inconspicuous. How about this one out of Colossians 3 about covetousness? Covetousness. Turn over to Colossians 3 with me, verse number 5. We're going to use our Bibles tonight. Please do uh, turn to the passages with me. Uh, Participate with that. I would appreciate that greatly. Stubbornness and then idolatry. Pastor, I, I understand that idols are invented and idols are inferior. I, I intellectually get that God is greater than uh, anything that uh, the world uh, can offer, anything that I would pursue with my heart. But but pastor, how, help me identify uh, 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 idolatry in my heart. Well, we, there are some areas where we ought to be stubborn. I'm stubborn about the version of the Bible that I use. I'm stubborn about the music I listen to. I'm stubborn about uh, my stance on uh, modesty, both for myself and my family. I'm, I'm, I'm stubborn when it comes to being a soul winner. I'm stubborn about reading my Bible. I'm stubborn about my sermon preparation habits. Uh, I'm, I'm stubborn about many things, but I ought not be stubborn about sin. I ought not be stubborn about my own wrongdoing. I ought to be willing to be supple in the Lord's hand and be willing uh, to follow His leading and guiding. How about covetousness? Look at uh, Colossians 3. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. Look at this. And covetousness, which is what, church? Covetousness, which is idolatry. What is the number one, uh, uh, number one of the, of, the, of the Ten Commandments in the Bible, of those who go to a church like this one, which of those ten is broken the most? Which, think about that for a moment with me. Think about that. There's ten commandments that God gave Moses there on Sinai. Which of those ten commandments do folks who go to a church like this one break the most? You have uh, that, uh, you know, the idolatry at the top of the list there, which is what we're preaching on. And then you have uh, honoring your parents. I think most of us do a pretty good job with that. And not committing adultery. I sure hope you're not wrapped up in that. And you, you have, uh, we're not supposed to steal. I hope no one here is stealing. Amen. And uh, not bearing false witness. That would be a candidate, right? How many times a day do we lie? Even a little lie that, you know, we, we, we tell to kind of cover something up. But uh, uh, how about this one? Thou shalt not covet. 
looking at something someone else has and wanting it when you can't have it. I, uh, I uh, saw a, in traffic the other day here in the area, I saw a, um, oh, what's the name of the car? Is it a McLaren? Not a McLaren. Um, Maserati. I saw a Maserati the other day. There's several of those around. It's a good Italian brand, the Nino Maserati. Are there, are, there, are there a lot of those over in Italy, Maseratis? More here than over there. Okay, but it's an Italian brand car. That's a high-end car. And so I got home and I looked up Maserati. And I looked up at zero to 60 speed. And then I said, I, was, I thought, I wondered, what's the fastest car, uh, street legal car, zero to 60? I looked up the car. I think it was a, a Tesla Roadster, at least when I looked it up. And uh, there's some argument over that. Zero to 60 in 1.9 seconds. That's fast. I mean, and I get you right here in the stomach, right? That, that's, that's some pop. And then I looked at what it cost. The base model $200,000. Yeah, I can't afford that. You probably can't either. You know what would be a sin is for me to sit on that website and build that car and get to check out and then sit there and go, oh, I sure wish I could buy that car. That would have been a sin. But you know what Americans do? We don't just commit the sin of idolatry in the form of covetousness with um, things we can't buy. We commit it by buying things we can't afford. We're up to our ears in consumer debt. We owe Coles how much money? We got a card out at Best Buy where we bought a phone we couldn't afford. And a computer we couldn't afford. And an iPad we couldn't afford. And an Apple Watch we couldn't afford. We got a credit card where we've swiped at Longhorn and the Italian restaurant in town. And we, we have gone around and sampled every one of the high-end restaurants. And, and then, you know, we uh, have a desire for coffee, so we swing by a Starbucks or a Dunkin' and we swipe, 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 swipe. And now you're a master to MasterCard. Visa is more your God than God is. And you carry around a nice purse, ladies. Guys, you walk around in an expensive suit. You drive a car that you can barely afford. And those things have become your idols. God is not your God. Your image, your own. You're worshiping of the false image of yourself. The reality of Christian idolatry. Number two, notice the removal of Christian idolatry. Take your Bibles over to Psalm 139. Psalm chapter 139. The removal of Christian idolatry. Uh, Gideon had to go in. We're going to go back to uh, Judges 6 in a moment here. But Gideon had to go in and overthrow the idols that had been set up for his entire family. And if you're going to remove the idols out of your life, a little bit more difficult because they're not physical idols probably, but philosophical idols might be more difficult to cast out of our heart. 
because they're inconspicuous, we oftentimes have a hard time identifying them. And that's where an honest prayer between us and God comes in, where we say, Lord, a pastor preached on idolatry. Show me the idols in my heart and help me to be willing to deal with those. And when God puts his finger on them, we have to be willing and ready to yep, throw those out of our heart. Look at that. Let me give you letter A here. Notice we must search our hearts. We must search our hearts. Psalm 139. Look with me at verse number 23. David says here, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. These verses are so rich. I honestly could preach a whole sermon just out of these two verses. I see so much here. But let's just focus in on this thought of having God search our hearts. I uh, remember when my children were little, I'd send them to clean their room. They'd be watching TV and I'd say, all right, turn the TV off. Go in and clean your room. You know, four, five, six years old, they go in and they do what I'll call a rush job on cleaning their room, right? And I'm as whoop, 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 zip through there, express lane style, maybe throw some things in the closet, shove some things under the bed, pull the covers up, pull the top cover up without, you know, getting the undercover there fixed. And, and then it's, Dad, we clean our room. Can we turn our show back on? Hang on just a moment. I'm going to come in and inspect your room. Oh, well, Dad, hold on a minute. I, I got a couple more things. Nope, I'm coming in to inspect your room. And, you know, when they were little, it was toys on the floor still and... You know, let's pull this, let's pull this back and look. Oh, you didn't fully make your bed. Let's get that made. And, you know, dad would go through and there was a higher standard expected than what they expected of themselves. Oh, pastor, I searched my heart. I looked to see if I had any idolatry in there. I just did a quick uh, run through my heart. And while you're preaching on point one, I didn't identify a single idol. We're good. How about you sincerely bow your head and say to the Lord, show me what's in my heart. When I was in college, they would come through a couple of times a semester and do something called white glove inspection. How many of you here in the military know what a white glove? Yeah, okay. Now, when the dorm, the dorm suit came through and checked, you know, it just had to be kind of clean to the eyeball at a quick glance. But when the dean of men came through, he was lifting up your mattress, and with that white glove, he was checking for dust. And if he found it, you were, you know, scrubbing showers for the next two weeks. There were some consequences to be found. And if we're going to have our hearts right with God, and we're going to fully remove this idolatry, then we need to ask the Lord to sincerely search every corner of our heart. I want you to imagine this evening that... It word came to you that the Lord Jesus was going to come down here and he was going to visit your home in seven days. So next Sunday, he was going to come over to your home for Sunday lunch. Now, again, this is an illustration. We don't believe Jesus is going to come to your house next week, but bear with me here. Okay. And so uh, seven days from now, the Lord Jesus is going to come in your home. And he's going to have lunch. And so uh, you, you really work to get things ready. I mean, you really work to get things ready. And you, you, you take all of the things in your home that you think would displease the Lord. And you push them into a bedroom off the beaten path. And you close that door. 
And Jesus comes over and you open the door, you got a big smile on your face. You're so happy to have your Savior over for lunch. And he sits down and eats and he says, could I take a tour of your home? And you say, I'd be happy to take you. Take him. Here's the basement. Man, isn't it clean? We even got the mildew smell out. Amen. It looks great. And you take him upstairs and into your living room. And you see that Bible verse sign on the wall. You only put it up there the day before. But you see that Bible verse sign on the wall. And you take him in the kitchen. And there's all the little anecdotal, you know, cute little Bible sayings that you have in your kitchen. And he says, hey, uh, take me back to the living quarters of the home. I want to see your bedrooms. And so you take him back and you show him a couple of bedrooms and then he comes to that closed door. And Jesus says, what's in there? And you slide in front of the door and you say, yeah, you, you can't go in, in there. And Jesus says, well, what's in there? And you say, yeah, let, let's not let's not talk about. It. Let me let, let's go back in the living room. I, I have something in here. And Jesus said, "Hang on a minute. Hang on. Hang on. I want to see what's in that room." Now I want you to imagine that that home I just described is your heart. Is there a compartment of your heart where you have said to God? You can have all of it, but you can't have that. You see, that's the area that God wants. That's the area where your grove is set up. That's the area where that false idea of Christian living exists. And God says, hey, I don't want just 80% of your heart. I want the whole thing. Lord God, come in with your flashlight and shine the light through my whole heart and show me if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We must search our hearts, letter B. We must stand for right. We must stand for right. Go back to Judges chapter number 6 with me where we began this evening. Look with me at verse number 28. We read up to this verse. We saw that Gideon came at night. And on the, 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 the cover of darkness, when everyone was asleep, he, he took down the... The idols, and he sacrificed the bullock just as the Lord had commanded. But look at verse 28. When the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. Can you imagine how difficult this must have been for Gideon? God, but God was preparing him. To lead the entire country from sin and idolatry. Now hear me, hear me, hear me. If Gideon could not take a stand at home against idolatry and for what was right, if he couldn't do it at home, how then was he going to be able to lead others? You see, before we can begin to worry about the idolatry in our church or the idolatry in our country, before we can begin worrying about the idolatry anywhere else, we must start dealing with the idolatry that exists in our own home. To the men here this evening, let me challenge you. Don't be a passive leader. Don't leave it on your wife to lead spiritually. 
You should model biblical worship, then expect it out of those who follow in your home. Do the single mothers here. Let me challenge you to do the same in your place. I grew up uh, in a uh, Christian home where my mom and dad really worked to live what I'm preaching tonight. And I thank them so much that they were at home who they were at church. And uh, look, we'd watch TV and if a curse word came across the screen, we turned, we turned the channel off or turned the TV off. And uh, the music in our home, even in TV commercials, was the same as what we got at church. There was just a consistency there and it really kept me... From a place of being confused. But I was amazed. The movie Titanic came out. When I was in junior high I believe it was. Junior high or high school. And uh, it was just a popular movie in the culture. There are some things in that movie that a Christian just shouldn't be watching. But amazingly all the kids that I even went to Christian school with. That I went to youth group with. They all saw the movie. I was the only one that didn't see it. Me and my siblings. You know, I don't think that problem has gone away today. Dad, if you were to go through your home right now and look at the movies that have been watched on your TV, the Netflix accounts, and the, I don't know that there's still DVD collections. Maybe some of you in here that are 45, 50 and up, maybe you still have a DVD collection or a VCR collection. How many of those are rated R? Hey, if the world says a movie is rated R, restricted, maybe we shouldn't be getting entertained by that. Would you let someone come in your home and be dressed in their underwear and be all tattooed up and curse words flying out of their mouth left and right? Would you let those kind of people in your home? Would you let a man or woman lay on your couch and have intimate relations right there in front of your whole family? But you do when you let that come in through a screen in your living room. It is no different. God has called us to be holy. He's called us to take a stand for what's right. You see, Gideon had to go to his own home and he had to take down his dad's idols and he had to cut down the wooden grove and turn that into firewood and then burn the bullock that represented the one day coming Christ and he had to take a stand for what was right where it was unpopular to do it. Now, I think we need to be careful not to let our good be evil spoken of. But all the same, we need to do what's right. We're going to remove idolatry We have to get down and say, if Jesus was moving into the spare bedroom in our home, what would change in our home? Hey, wives, would you talk different to your husbands if you knew that Jesus was going to have breakfast at your table tomorrow morning? Hey, husbands, do you think maybe you'd be a little bit more loving and leading in your loving tomorrow if you knew that Jesus was physically going to be present in your home? And maybe I don't need to remind you this, but we serve a God who we believe to be what? Omnipresent. You know what that means? He is in your home. And as I preach this morning, if you're saved, you are a temple of the Holy Ghost. And He dwells inside of you. We must be 
We must stand for what's right. Letter C, we must be selective. We must be selective. Go over to Second Chronicles chapter 24. I've got you all over the Bible tonight. I appreciate your working with me on that. Second Chronicles chapter 24. Look at verse number 18. Let me say this while you're finding your way over there. To remove philosophical idolatry from our heart and our home, that takes a lot of courage. It takes some courage. It might make you unpopular for a season. And to tell your children, we're going to start monitoring what you look at on your phone, or we're going to take your phone from you altogether, that's going to take some courage. You know what? People who are doing wrong, they don't like when you make them start doing right. They don't like that. You might have to go to your wife, men, and say, hey, we really shouldn't be watching this anymore. That may not make you popular for a season. You need to be kind about it, but you need to have the backbone to take the stand. To get rid of the idols in your home. Letter C, we must be selective. Look at Second Chronicles 24, look at verse 18. And they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served groves and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for their trespasses. You see this, what happened here? They had the blessings of God. And they turned from worshiping God to worshiping idols. And what happened? They brought down the wrath of God upon them. Many many of you here this evening are guilty of trying to worship God while you're devoting yourself to sinful living. I go to church on Sunday and I dress nice and I look nice and I carry my Bible and I shake my head up and down during the preaching and I quote the verses with the preacher that he uses that I have memorized and I walk out and I feel good about myself but then I go home on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and what do I do? I behave in a way that does not please the Lord. What's it going to be? Are you going to worship the God of the Bible or are you going to worship your version of God? Because you can't do both. Be selective. Live on purpose. Don't try to ride the fence. Get in and worship God or get out and worship yourself in sin. Letter D. We must sanctify our temple. We must sanctify our temple. Go with me over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 from Chronicles to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now this passage is famous because it is the passage that tells us not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It goes on to say, what fellowship hath uh, light with darkness or uh, what fellowship uh, hath um, uh, uh, those who are saved with an infidel? And There's to be a separation uh, in our fellowship. Uh, Light is not to commune with darkness and uh, we're to live right for the Lord. Now with that as the backdrop, a little bit further down in the chapter, we find verse 16. Look here. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Now I want you to pay attention to this because this is an important part of the sermon. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? I think that's a question that deserves our attention. 
For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I want you to imagine a time during Israel's history where they had their temple, Solomon's temple. And you walk into Solomon's temple, this beautiful, the most expensive building that's ever been built, costing into uh, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. And you walk into this building, and over here you have the holy place, and you have the holy of holies. But over here in this corner, what do you have? You have a grove and idols to false gods set up in a building that was built to worship the God of heaven. And you walk in and immediately you go, oh, oh no, oh, oh no, please not here. Oh, oh please, no, uh, put, put the false idols outside of the temple. Uh, I understand you may worship them, but, but please don't worship the false idols in the building that was built to worship Jehovah God. That seems out of place. That doesn't belong there. And I want to remind you tonight that if you have put your faith in Jesus, that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And when you allow that corner of your heart to hold on to that language and that music and that behavior that's untoward and unseemly and and unrighteous, and you won't let it go, what you're saying is, God, you can have this part of the temple, but this corner of the temple where you dwell is where I have my false idols, where I do wrong. And you know what we need to do? We need to do like the Old Testament kings that wanted to purify the temple. We need to go in and we need to take all of the idols out. And we need to burn them. And we need to say, no, this place, this building... My temple, I'm pointing at myself, my temple will be a place where God alone is worshipped. Where God alone is praised. I'm not going to devote my heart to material items. I'm not going to devote the worship of my heart to money. I'm not going to devote my heart to worshipping myself or the sin of humanism. No, rather, I'm going to allow God and God alone to be worshipped in my temple. I wonder how many of us tonight have some some idols that God's put His finger on, boy, it's time for them to go. Number three, lastly, notice the reward of Christian integrity. The reward of Christian integrity. I hasten, 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God. From what I can tell, there's only one Thing in the entire Bible that is somewhat negatively spoken about the church of Thessalonica. And what is it? It's that they had served idols and they turned from them to serve, to serve the true and living God. Now, if you read these books, uh, Paul heaps praise on them and holds them high as a model church in all of Macedonia that is worshiping God with a pure heart. Here, he commends them for having entirely left 
idol worship behind and worshiping the God of the Bible on his terms. In fact, they had taken out their books of, of, uh, uh, of, of witchcraft and they had burned them uh, out of their home to get even the private sins out in the open and get it dealt with and done with and to make sure that God had their whole heart here. Uh, he commends them for having entirely left that behind. So, tangibly, what are the rewards? Here they are. Life lived God's way is a life lived to its fullest. Life lived God's way yields eternal rewards from our Maker and King. Life lived God's way, worshiping the God of heaven, is a life filled with joyous relationships. Life lived God's way on God's terms. Worshiping the God who made us brings about a heart of heavenly wisdom and knowledge. Life lived God's way brings about great balance in life. And when we allow, or rather when we alter God and change Him into what we want Him to be, we turn the God of heaven into our enemy And none of these rewards are available to us. Christian, Christian, are you worshiping God or are you expecting God to worship you? Another way to put it, it would be like this. Are you worshiping God or are you worshiping yourself? For you see... We change God into who we want out of a love for self. Modern day idolatry. Modern day idolatry. I don't think anyone here has got some closet with some idol where they go and secretly bow down to it. But I think many of us, if we look deep down in our heart and we say, search me, O God, he'll put his finger on some things. He's not number one in our life. Maybe he's fallen to number two or three or he's slid way down the list. May we put God back in his rightful place. May we sanctify our temple. You say, Pastor Lejeune, I'm struggling with some sinful habits in my life. I want God to be number one, but I've got some areas I'm just having a hard time beating and letting go of. Hey, why don't you bend a knee tonight and say, God, I'm, I'm struggling here to sanctify my temple, but that's what I want. Give me your strength. Give me your might. And sometimes we get lazy in our Christian life and we let things slip in. Let's let God work on each one of our hearts this evening. Lord, I pray tonight that, Lord, you would identify where each one of us needs to yield our hearts fully and totally to you. Lord, it's so easy to let sin creep in. The flesh is just so wicked. The flesh is just so subtle. And Lord God, we can be holy and righteous with you one day and then wake up a day or a week or a month later and Lord, we're in love with things that we ought not be and now you don't even have the right place. Deal with us over stubbornness. Deal with us over covetousness. Put your finger on self-worship. Show us instances in each one of our own hearts and lives. Convict us.